Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5, TIC FM, and Light 100.5, WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you on this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by Chris George. He is executive director of New Haven-based IRIS, Integrated Refugee and Immigrant Services. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. Well, first, Chris, why don't we start with what IRIS does? Tell us about your mission. We are one of about 200 refugee resettlement agencies, 200 spread across the country from California to Connecticut. Uh, And our job, uh, we're a nonprofit, we're very nonprofit. Our job is to welcome refugees. These are persecuted people who've had to flee their home countries. Welcome refugees to the United States, to Connecticut, and help them get off to a good start. And that means we find them housing, uh, actually before they arrive. Um, we will connect them to healthcare, and we have a great healthcare partner in New Haven, uh, Yale New Haven Hospital. We will enroll the kids in school, and it's a very welcoming school district, New Haven. Um, we also work in West Haven. We also work all over the state. In fact, we're opening an office in Hartford um, in, in a day or two. Um, so what have I said? Housing, healthcare, enroll the kids in school, help the parents learn English and then also help them get jobs. That's kind of the basic package. Um, We also feel there is an obligation to educate Americans about refugees and to engage them, to involve them in this great tradition. I mean, there's no better way for Americans to learn about the refugee crisis and to learn what these people have gone through than to actually roll up their sleeves and do the work. So we have a model here in Connecticut, we call it community co-sponsorship, where we will train community groups, volunteers, to do all the things that my amazing staff does um, in their own community. So a community group will find an apartment, the community group will furnish it with furniture that they have, um, that they have collected they will meet the family when they arrive, uh, often late at night. They will enroll the kids in school. They will connect them to healthcare. They will help find jobs for the parents. They, this community group of volunteers, will do all of these things. And they'll do it really well because um, this mission attracts amazing, talented, 
skilled, experienced people. And, you know, this is really the only way we're going to get through the next year or so, because there are a lot of refugees coming, many more than can be handled by the refugee resettlement agencies, by these 200 nonprofits spread across the country. And we're going to need all the help we can get. And honestly, the best help is when a group of people get together, form a community group, and actually welcome a refugee family to their community. Now, we learned last month from the governor's office that more than 300 Afghan refugees are going to be coming to Connecticut following the U.S. pullout from Afghanistan. What do you know about them so far and the timeline? Well, it's going to end up being more. That's a very um, underestimate of the number that will be coming. Uh, We will probably welcome 300 um, to Connecticut over the next three months. And then there will be another uh, nine months in the fiscal year when more and more will come. So I'm actually looking at a number closer to, for the state, closer to about 700 uh, Afghan evacuees, refugees coming to Connecticut. And, um, you know, many, many will, will arrive in the next, uh, in the next two or three months. In fact, we're getting our first family um, that has come through this evacuation program. They've spent time on a military base. They're arriving tomorrow uh, in New Haven. Give us an idea of what some of these refugees have been through. They all have um, something in common, which is they have worked, at least one member of the family has worked with the United States government in some capacity. So, you know, we all hear about the interpreters, uh, Afghan interpreters who've worked with, with, with the military, with special forces or, you know, with uh, other uh, branches of our military service that was in Afghanistan. But it's not just interpreters. It's also truck drivers uh, who have helped uh, build and, uh, and maintain military bases around Afghanistan. It might be someone who ran a laundry service in Kandahar for the Marines. It might also be someone who ran a, a nonprofit group that was trying to promote civic engagement and democracy in Afghanistan that received USAID funding. It might be people who worked for US-based uh, non-government organizations like, like Save the Children. Um, so anyone who was involved in an activity either with the U.S. government or funded by the U.S. government or uh, had its headquarters in the United States or involved in an activity that just um, irritates the sensitivities of the Taliban, they're all at risk. They had to flee with their families. And these are the people who are sweating it out now in military bases all over the United States. There are about 50,000 already in the United States, and there will be about another 40,000 that will be coming over the the coming months. So we're looking at a total of about 90,000 evacuees. Now, Aaron, you shouldn't fall off your chair when you hear that number, because in, in 1980, you'll remember that this country welcomed 200,000 refugees from Southeast Asia. 1980, 
before the current refugee resettlement structure existed, 200,000 people were welcomed by this country and helped to start new lives. And they were welcomed by, by churches, by, by synagogues, by community groups. Some nonprofits were involved, but in general, it was a very volunteer intensive, community engaged, sparsely funded operation. And we've moved away from that, unfortunately. We've professionalized refugee resettlement a little bit too much. And there have not been as many volunteers involved in, in resettling refugees as there should be. Now we're changing that in Connecticut. And we embarked on this community-based approach um, in a big way back in 2016 when so many Syrians came. And by the way, the response to the Syrian refugee crisis was just phenomenal. The response to this Afghan humanitarian crisis has been even more unbelievable and unprecedented. I mean, people from all across the various spectrums of religion and politics and socioeconomic, they've all stepped forward to offer to help. And what I say to people is you really want to help. You really want to help with this Afghan refugee crisis, then form a community group, then pull together your friends, go to your synagogue or your church or your mosque and, and say, hey folks, let's pull together a group of people. Iris will train us. And within a month or two, we can be welcoming a family of Afghans to our community. That is the best way to help. And you are still looking for people to do that? Yes, we'll need all the groups we can get. Uh, right now we have about 25 groups that are actively working toward um, welcoming a family. Um, I would like to double that number and have 50. I mean, you know, Connecticut is a wealthy state. We have a lot of resources. Um, there are a lot of towns and communities that could easily welcome a family uh, from Afghanistan. And I think it is a great community project, brings people together, people who might not otherwise come together on anything else. They do agree on this issue, which is we should be helping our allies in Afghanistan whose lives are in danger and have been brought to this country. We should welcome them. We should help them get off to a good start and um, enroll their kids in school and help them get jobs. It's, it's a wonderful community project. You talk to people who've done it and they say it is one of the most rewarding, satisfying things they've done. I'm curious, have you seen sentiment among the public for, in terms of support for refugees, kind of ebb and flow with the politics of this country? <laughs> yeah, we sure have. Uh, you know, historically, if you look back over the past, you know, 100 years or so, the U.S. has welcomed many more refugees to the United States than any other country. And in fact, our refugee resettlement uh, numbers are most years higher than all of the other countries that have refugee programs put together. Normally, we welcome about 80,000 refugees every year to the United States. So it, it, it has generally been a constant 
in that it has always received bipartisan support. Now that changed about five years ago when there was someone running for president who ran on a platform of vilifying and, um, and criticizing uh, refugees and blaming refugees and immigrants for the problems in this country, which of course is, is, is nonsense, but it, it, it worked. Um, I'm um, ashamed to say that uh, a number of people, um, you know, voted for uh, that person and um, in power, um, the previous administration worked very hard to decimate the refugee resettlement program to cut back on the number of staff working overseas on the refugee program to reduce funding for refugee resettlement agencies and then worst of all to drastically cut the numbers so i said our average was around 80,000 a year number of refugees coming to the united states around 80,000 a year well, last year of the Trump administration, it had dipped down to 15,000. So we need to get that back up. So yes, there have been ups and downs, ebb and flows, but you know, if we engage millions of Americans in this great American tradition of welcoming persecuted people and helping them start new lives, if we get millions of Americans engaged in this program, no one, will ever be able to run for any elected office on the promise of reducing refugee resettlement or with a campaign that vilifies refugees. Because there will be too many people in this country who know otherwise. They'll say, wait a minute, that's not true. I helped refugee get a job. Or that's not true. I hired a refugee. Or that's not true. My kids go to school with these refugee kids and they're really good students. Oh, that's not true. They work really hard. So this is really where we want to be in, in this country. And the only way we're going to get there is if refugee resettlement agencies reach out to their communities and help these groups of volunteers take shape, train them, and then place refugee families with them. You're listening to Face Connecticut. We're talking to Chris George, executive director of New Haven-based IRIS, Integrated Refugee and Immigrant Services. You mentioned the the arrival process typically occurs late at night. Walk us through how the arrival typically works and, and how these people, their families, get settled here. Right. Well, as I said, we, we usually have a, a two or three weeks notice. Now, with the uh, Afghan refugees who will be receiving in large numbers over the next three months, we probably are not going to have <laughs> anywhere near two weeks notice. We might have two or three days notice. So um, we may not have time to set up an apartment before they arrive. Um, they will land at uh, a nearby airport. Uh, since they're coming from domestic locations, they might uh, fly into Hartford or even Tweed uh, Airport in, in New Haven, or they might arrive at Newark or JFK or LaGuardia. Uh, wherever they arrive, they will be met either by my staff or by uh, people from the State Department, and they'll be placed on shuttles if they're in the New York area, and they'll come up to New Haven. Um, if they arrive at uh, Hartford or Tweed, my staff will probably meet them right there at the airport. 
and we will take them. Uh, if we have an apartment set up, we'll take them to their apartment. If we don't have an apartment set up, we'll probably take them to the hotel. Or if they have relatives or friends here, they will squeeze into their relatives or friends' apartment for the next few days or week or so until we have time to find an apartment and get it set up. And um, one of the rules of resettling refugees is that within a couple of hours of a family's arrival, we need to serve them a culturally appropriate hot meal. It's, it's my, my favorite US government requirement of all time. Within two hours of a refugee family's arrival in the United States, they must be served a culturally appropriate hot meal. Now, these are families that are coming from, from military bases, but still we're going to apply that, that, that regulation. And they'll have a hot meal and um, they'll have a good night's sleep. And then you know we'll get to work on making sure they have the health care that they need. We'll um, figure out how we're gonna enroll the kids in school. I mean, if they're in a hotel in a different school district from where we think they're going to have their permanent housing, then that's probably gonna complicate things. We probably will not enroll them immediately uh, in school. We'll wait to see where they end up. So this is, this, is, um, this is gonna be different from what we've done over the past 40 years or so. Uh, it's not gonna be business as usual and it's going to take a while for people to, um, to end up in, in permanent housing, unfortunately. Now we have gone out and we've tried to rent as many apartments as we can uh, over the past month or so in anticipation of these large numbers of people coming. But, you know, there's only so much housing available. And, and then when you say, well, how, uh, how much af affordable housing is available, then that, that's even a smaller number. So it's been, it's, it's going to be a challenge, but we'll do it. We'll do it because I have an amazing staff that is determined to do its part in helping to alleviate this crisis. And we work in a state with incredible communities and volunteers and a real spirit of, of generosity and hospitality. Now your volunteers, are, are they concentrated in the New Haven area or are they across the state? They're all across the state. If this were TV, and I'm glad it's not because I really love radio, but if this were TV, you would see a map of Connecticut behind me right now and spread across the map of Connecticut. I've got these red uh, dots, these red circles, and each one designates a community group that has welcomed a refugee family. And there are 50 dots all over the map. And, and, and these are from the 2016, 2017 period when Syrian refugees were resettled. Well, I could put green dots on the map now to show which groups are stepping forward to welcome Afghan refugees. And many of them are the same community groups. So we wanna spread them all over the state. We wanna put them uh, in places where um, there is a welcoming group of people, but maybe not that many refugees. And that's okay. Um, we do worry a little bit about isolation, but we are hoping that the same thing that happened in 2016 will happen now. And that is this loving and generous group of volunteers will smother these families with 
hospitality and friendship, and uh, it'll make up for the lack of uh, Afghan community um, that they might be missing if they um, if they had been resettled in New Haven, for example, or Hartford. There are more Afghan families, but we cannot put uh, 400 families. Uh, I'm sorry, 400 individuals. We can't put 400 individuals in the greater New Haven area or and then 300 individuals in Hartford. It's just too many for the school districts and for the healthcare systems. We need to spread them out. Is it the hope that they remain here permanently or might they decide to, to go elsewhere at some point in the future? No, they'll stay. Um, Connecticut has a pretty good record of hanging on to refugees who are resettled here. In fact, um, many refugees who are resettled in other states uh, hear about Connecticut and they move here. So uh, there is a a net um, increase in the number of uh, of, uh, migrating refugee families uh, for Connecticut. But sure, uh, Aaron, if, uh, if a family resettles in let's say New London, and then after two or three months, um, they hear that um, their close relatives are living in Louisville, Kentucky, and rents are cheaper in Louisville, and they have found some really great jobs, and they want to be together. You know, they might they might move to Louisville. Things like that happen uh, every now and then, but it's but it's rare. Now, how does Iris get its funding, and does it have enough? Well, we don't have enough um, for a time like this. I know that I said the best way people can help is to form a community group. Well, the second best way you can help is to make a donation to IRIS. And we'll use that to cope with this massive increase in the number of refugees and also um, to cope with the fact that they're going to be arriving very, very quickly with very little notice. So um, putting people in in hotels is something we generally don't have a budget for, but if people make donations, uh, we'll be able to do that. Uh, We'll need to hire more staff. I'm talking case managers and employment uh, coordinators and education people who can enroll kids in school, housing people who can go out and find apartments, um, people who can pick up furniture donations and and furnish apartments. So all across that spectrum of activities, housing, education, employment, and healthcare, all across that spectrum of activities, we need to hire more people. Uh, We're going to get some assistance from the government, but our standard for resettling refugees is is higher in Connecticut. Um, And the only way to meet that standard is to have private funding. So yes, we do need additional private funding to do a good job of welcoming these people. All refugee resettlement agencies receive some funding from the State Department and from the Department of Health and Human Services, federal dollars. About half of our budget is, is, is coming from those federal sources. The other half is from private sources. And it's that private money really allows us to do more than just the bare minimum. Bare minimum is not enough to welcome a family. You need to have um, longer term, deeper education programs. You need to have uh, more employment staff so that you can help people not only get their first job, but 
second and third job as they move up the ladder. Need to have a healthcare uh, team that helps people who are suffering from physical or, or, or mental health issues so that those can be addressed immediately. So, Chris, if people want to help out, where can they go? Well, the best way to start to learn about all of the different things that we are doing and all of the different ways that you can help is to go to our website. And that is iris, like the flower, I-R-I-S-C-T for Connecticut, dot org. He is Chris George, Executive Director of IRIS. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Aaron, and uh, thanks to all of your listeners, and uh, hope to see you at IRIS one day. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.